0: in the church today, among the world, we are going to unpack Jesus and sexuality. As I do that, I I wanna share with you my posture before you, my heart attitude before you as I preach today. The first is is that I'm a person, right? I'm a person just like you. I'm in grace just like you and listen, I need the same grace that's needed by any of you. I need that same grace myself, if not more. And so I am a person in need of God's mercy. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And so are you. And I come to you as a person and a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondarily, I'm a pastor. It means that I'm responsible for the shepherding of souls and I know that this isn't just a controversial thing of the mind but it's a controversial thing of the heart there's these deep heart issues that the subject matter today is going to ignite in you listen to me it is going to ignite that in you and I am consciously aware of that and I want to be pastoral in that I want to care for you from the pulpit here I have counseled in my career probably well over a thousand hours of counseling. And one of the subjects that has been deeply, deeply themed towards sexuality is this brokenness that we've all experienced, right? And then finally is, I'm a prophet. Now listen, I'm not Isaiah saying, thus says the Lord. I am not a prophet that is writing anything new. But I am proclaiming to you the ancient truths of old that are given for our world today. God's word doesn't change because we have an unchanging God. And here's what a prophet is called to do. A prophet is called to tell the people of God's word so that they might change in accordance with it. And that's the heartbeat of the word of God here today. It's that God's word is good and faithful and true. And where our lives are misaligned, we trust God, we turn to him and we say, God, help me because I need all of your help and all of your grace. So with that being said, I'm gonna ask that you join me in prayer. Lord, I need you this morning. Every Sunday I get here, Lord, is a Sunday that I need you, but I I especially feel it here today. And Lord, as I've prepared this week, I've especially felt your presence. I felt your mercy on me in my own brokenness. I felt your love, your tenderness, your compassion. God, I felt your authority. God, I pray that all those things would be real and true and good in us today, and that God, the hardened hearts of our lives, would be softened by the power of Your Spirit as Your Word goes forth today. In Jesus' name, the church says together, Amen. So this week, as I as I was preparing for uh, the sermon, I scanned my bookshelf. And I was looking for books that would be helpful pertaining to what we're discussing today. And I, I pulled out this book, um, which was written in 2005. Uh, it's edited by a pastor named John Piper. And there is an assortment of authors that speak into this idea called Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. And as I pulled it out, I couldn't help but immediately notice that there's these endorsements on the back. And the top first endorsement comes from a man named Joshua Harris. Joshua Harris was a megachurch pastor uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. A young megachurch pastor in his, uh, uh, in his 30s. And today, Joshua Harris is no longer in ministry And there was something that happened. I can't tell you what happened. He doesn't really tell us what happened. But something that happened that would cause him to say that the words that he stated on the back of this or that he wrote towards the Christian life and sexuality are things he no longer agrees with and, in fact, he's walking in repentance of. Let me read these words to you. Another Christian book on sex. This is so much more. We don't need another Christian book on sex that's all about us. We need to have our gaze lifted. We need to consider the God who made us sexual creatures for his glory. This book will help you form a Christ-centered, Bible-shaped understanding of sex. This is something we all need. Now, as I read those words even now, there's, a, there's kind of a weight of reality that comes upon me. There are things that I'm gonna say today that I wanna walk in the fullness of for the rest of my life. And listen, I need all of God's help and grace to do so. And so do you. And as I read these words, I wanna take his advice that he gave 15 years ago. We need our gaze lifted. We need to see beyond the trees for the forest. We need to see that sex is not all about us, but it is created for God's goodness and glory and human flourishing. And that as we look and see that our gaze is lifted, God would so captivate our hearts. He would so stir our hearts that we see the beauty of Christ. And listen, we become surrendered to it. And in that surrender, we walk daily in dependence upon God. Because listen to me, friends, sexual brokenness is a tool that God uses even in our lives to cause us to radically trust him and surrender to him again and again and again. Because it's not about us. It's all about him. And the first point that we start with, in fact, give you a kind of an overview of the way I'm taking this, uh, this text of Scripture is uh, the biblical storyline narrative, okay? There's four parts, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. If you were to zoom out of the Bible and try to get a big overview of it, you would get these four words, and, at the, uh, and through these four words, you would see the fullness of Christ in them, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Let's start with creation. Point number one, sex is God God's idea and he has good purpose for it. Sex is God's idea and he has a good purpose for it. Look with me here in Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food for food. And God will destroy both the one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So, Paul is using a phrase that was probably common in the church of Corinth. A little idea of the context of Corinth it was kind of like Las Vegas on steroids in the Roman culture, right? This is a place where what's done in Corinth stays in Corinth, okay? And so you don't really talk about some of the indiscretions in the city of Corinth. And then trying to do church in that place was a a, a place of incredible hardship because it's like, how do I even live without getting swallowed up by the culture around me? And so a lot of the sins of the cultures were sins of the church. And here we have it where, you know, you've got, you've got, people that are visiting brothels. There's a religious culture of Corinth. It wasn't a Christ-like religious culture. It was a multi-god religious culture where they worshiped gods like Apollos and Aphrodite. And at the famous temple of Aphrodite, there were temple prostitutes. And it was a religious ordeal. That if you were going to find a closeness with God, you would do so by paying the temple prostitutes and reach some level of euphoria that you've not reached before and so thus receive God's blessing. And this is an idea that the church of Corinth had bought into. And they did so by using the apostle Paul's teaching as justification for it. The apostle Paul teached a scandalous message of God's grace. When I say scandalous, hear me say that it's scandalously good, that there's nothing you can do to earn it, that you don't deserve it, and it comes as a free gift that God gives. And so they took Paul's rationale for the gospel, which is a good gospel rationale, but they turned it back away from God and on themselves, and they says, Well, man, if grace is that free and grace is that good, then it means that all things are lawful for me. And this was a saying that the church of Corinth had. All things are lawful for me. If God is going to cleanse me of sin with finality past present, and future. It means that I can do whatever I want to do. That I can give myself into my desires and my desires completely. And Jesus Christ cleansed me from those things. And so they found not their freedom in Christ, but they found their freedom as in obedience to their desires, which was actually another form of slavery. That's why Paul says it's not that the food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. You know, you, the two are, are interlinked. It's not just something you do with your body. This appetite isn't something that you do, you do from your body, diso- divorced from the soul. They saw the body as, as material, disconnected from the spiritual. And so they gave in to their desires and they justified it, they rationalized it, As this is what I have to do to fulfill my appetite, and it's my right. And what is Paul's response? But not all things are helpful. But I will not be dominated by anything. You give yourself to your appetites. You follow your desires, where they will lead And they'll only lead you to domination. You will be dominated by those things. You will be enslaved to those things. And so the witness of the church was being muffled. It was being muted. It was being diminished. The witness of the church to the city of Corinth wasn't the freedom that comes through Christ, but it was domination. And they were using Christ as rationalization and justification for their heart's behaviors that had manifested. And, but what the Apostle Paul seeks to point them to is the goodness of God. Let, let's take a step back for a moment and look, let's look at this from the beginning. You know, God is not our idea, or not I mean, God is. You know, he gave us the idea. It's his idea because he's God. But sex is not our idea. Sex is God's idea. And God made sex for us, for our enjoyment. That we would experience his goodness and grace and glory through that. We see in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, one of the most quoted passages of Scripture in the Bible And also in the world today. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this is good news here. Like the first wedding was in the Garden of Eden, and the man and the woman had no clothes on. I don't know how Eve felt about that, but Adam was pretty darn excited, right? and God made that as good and holy and right and true. Now, this is creation. This is before the fall. This is the very, very, very good of God in the world. He made it good. And it isn't until chapter 3 that we see that the fall takes place. We'll get to that later. But this is a part of God's very good creation from the beginning. It wasn't like you know, God kind of messed up on the sex things and said, I should have never thought of that. Man, oh me, why did I do that? No, God gave it to us. And the answer is not to throw it out. The answer is not to seek to to redefine it under our own terms, but the answer is to look to him who designed it for good and faithful purposes. And this isn't true of just sexuality. This is also true of the acts of our body in life. This is the same rationale that the Apostle Paul uses for sins like gluttony, for sins like the mutilization of the flesh. This is why the Apostle Paul says, what you do with your body matters because it's not about you, it's about God. And God created you, you Christian, you church, with the utmost dignity and value of, over all creation. God made you with that. You have incredible value and worth because you are made in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then you get to the second act of the narrative which is fall. Genesis chapter 3. A lot of people will try to, to to try to you know what is the hidden message behind the forbidden fruit. There's not any hidden message behind the forbidden fruit. It's really clear. The forbidden fruit was Adam and Eve failing to trust in God's goodness and trying to make a path on their own. Satan came in the middle of it and said, here, look, there's a lot more to this world you should look at. And Adam and Eve sought to have their eyes opened. And what really happened, as it says in Romans, their foolish heart, hearts were darkened. And so rather than seeing everything that God made as being good, and this creator, that love them and there's this intimacy that was between them and their creator it brought chaos and division and they hid from God and that's really what the fall is it's when we turn away from God and we turn in towards ourselves and that's the story of sexual brokenness in the world I I could summarize it right there with those words where we find ourselves in our cultural moment today. There's not a lot of change that has happened from Genesis chapter 3 to today. You have two chapters in all the Bible of God's perfect world. It's really good. You see glimpses of it in the book of Revelation as it's promised to us again. But, you know, the 66 books of the Bible, almost a million words... You've got a lot of issues that man is dealing with the curse in dealing with the fall related to their sin because there was a failure to trust in God and when we trust when we fail to trust in God we're, we're going to trust in what we think is worthy of our trust and so we put our trust in ourselves and we put our trust in created things rather than the creator and this is where Paul comes in to bring correction here first Corinthians 6:15 through 18. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Paul is taking the the lies of Corinth that say it's just an act of the body and he's bringing correction to it. He's like, no, no, there's not just an act of the body going on here. You are taking the members of Christ and you are joining that to sin. And it's bringing destruction. And what he does, instead of cheapening sex, he heightens the holiness of God in a one flesh union. And this one flesh union that God, that that the Apostle Paul is heightening the holiness of it or the awareness of their holiness of it isn't just the union between man and a woman, but it's between God and the people he created. This is not just something you experience in marriage, Christian. If you are a Christian, if you have found that your faith and hope is in Jesus Christ, this union is already yours and it has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. You are one with him. And that one flesh union means that everything about you belongs to him. Just as in marriage, everything about your spouse, you belonging to your spouse, it's not about you anymore. It's about something better, it's about something greater, and it's about something more significant. Selfishness kills marriages every Day. That's why we must die to ourself and live to Christ so that God would be exalted in marriage. And whether you're married or you're single, it doesn't matter. The same is true. We must die to self and live to Christ so that he is exalted and that there's a greater marriage that your life points to. And that's the work of Jesus Christ in making a perfect union with God and man, a one flesh union. And so it's as if Paul says, just look at your hands for a minute wiggle your fingers and, and think about your eyes and your brain and your ears. Those aren't members of your body. Those are members of Christ. These are hands of Jesus. These are eyes of Christ. This is the brain of Christ. These are the ears of him, the physical realities of Christ in our life every day. Ray Ortland, I've quoted him, I think, almost like 15 weeks in a row, so I've got a man crush on him. Um, so, Ray Ortland says, Our bodies are members of Christ. Our bodies are limbs of Christ, organs of Christ. Our bodies, not just our souls, are united to the living Christ at this moment. We are physical expressions of the living Christ in the world today. Your legs are how Jesus walks into your world. He so cares for you. He so identifies with you. He gets so involved with you that every part of your body, including your sexuality, is eternally joined with him. So your dear precious body could not have more dignity. Shall I then take my eyes the eyes of Christ and the brain of Christ and make them members of porn, it's unthinkable. He, he, he rephrases Paul's example here. Shall I take the eyes of Christ and unite it with something that is unholy, that is not of God? Never. Never. It's unthinkable that we would take the members and unite them with something that defiles the name of Jesus. Now listen to me, church. This is real life for us here. I, 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 don't, I, I don't claim that anybody here is walking in any kind of innocence. I also realize that horrible things have been done In the name of sexual freedom that have hurt people. Like things happen to you as a result of other people's sins. But also things happen by you as a result of your sins. And so as we read these words, we should be reminded that we are in need of God's mercy. Past, present, and future. We are in need of that. We are in need of that right now. And then, in this one flesh union, he holds up marriage a union between one man and one woman that exemplifies or, or is a, a signpost pointing to the relationship that Jesus Christ would have with his church, one that he is at the center. Now, I I, want to be aware that there are many singles in here. And I also want to tell those who are single that the Bible does not idealize marriage in such a way that it creates kind of a pecking order of who's better or who's who or who's not. Doesn't do that. Doesn't do that at all, by the way. Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) Like, he was single. He was celibate. Jesus Christ is an example that... The single lifestyle is a good and godly lifestyle when it's motivated by the purity of Jesus Christ. Can I I just get an amen on that, right? It doesn't put us above anybody else. And history actually had it at one point in time where the single celibate life was seen as more holy than marriage. I think today sometimes in the church we got that backwards and we do it the other way around. And it's just not true, Sam Alberry says this really well. He says, the issue is not whether this path or that path is better, whether singleness or marriage would bring more good. The issue is God and whether I plunge myself into him, trusting him daily. That's the issue for all of us. Whether we trust in God and we plunge ourselves into him where we immerse ourselves into him and we give ourselves to him absolutely and fully completely but we see that in this passage that God has made marriage for sex and God has made sex for marriage and this is the way that God expresses his goodness in sexuality and marriage in our world today and I wanna tell you about both things. Marriage is not ultimate and sex is not ultimate, but God is. This is where we get it backwards. We think that this is ultimate or this is ultimate, but really God is. And if God is ultimate and not this and not this, then we could submit this and this under him and say, all right, God, I need you. I need you to help me here where you have me because this world is hard and it's challenging and my mind is confused and there's all these things happening and let me speak that so compassionately and say it is hard, it is so hard to live the way that God's called us to live and the church has not done a good job, not a good job at all at hearing some of the issues of brokenness and hearing them with the grace of God of God, in the eyes of Christ. And Jesus, he speaks right into it, implicating even the most religious among us and the irreligious among us. He says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is looking the most religious elite of his time in the eye and he is calling them adulterers. This was a time where the Pharisees would use scribes who were kind of like attorneys that had a religious bend towards them in order to have what is called a kind of a no-fault divorce. Literally, if a wife didn't cook the Pharisee a proper meal, they could divorce them because they would twist and turn the scriptures towards their own their own perversions and it led to a rampant a rampant legalistic morality that was had nothing to do with god and the bible by the way is a is a book that is very honest about sexual brokenness even among its own very honest abraham slept with his, servants, his wife's servant. And listen, if you read the story of the Bible, you know that there's pains that we feel today because of that. King David, like the man that was after God's own heart, was on his rooftop when his men were at battle. And then he saw Bathsheba. And right then in that moment, he said, I must have her. And in order to cover up an illicit scandal and affair, what did he do? He tried to hide it. How did he do that? Well, he murdered. he murdered her husband at the front line of the battle by sending him to the front, knowing he would die. And his purpose for doing that was that he would cover up the fact that she was pregnant with his child. And who's the one that comes after David in his brokenness? God. And God comes after him with truth. He comes after him and he pulls no punches, but God comes after him with his grace and his mercy and the promise of redemption and salvation. The greatest person in the history of Israel who most Jews would say today is the example, is a broken example, which is why he's not sufficient, which is why we need a greater king. And then as it relates to our world, society, everyone in here will acknowledge that we're living in a sexual broken society. We will acknowledge that, right? Everyone will acknowledge that, even those who are in society. Ray Ortland says this, he says, as our society departs increasingly from the ways of God, more misery will deeply injure and depress human experience. May the Christian church be ready always, always to care for sinners and sufferers without a self-righteous, I told you so. May we who follow Christ receive all penitence with tenderness and practical help. But we need more than an emergency room for people wounded by the sexual revolution. We also need a widespread return to the ancient wisdom We have all foolishly disobeyed. Two things. We need to come to Christ. And we need to obey Christ. If you come here with sexual brokenness. Those two things are there for you here today. Come to Christ. And follow Christ. Which leads me to the third act. Of this is redemption. Creation. God made the world as good. Fall, humanity turned away from God and turned in on themselves. Redemption, we turn back to Jesus. That's the beauty. So if you asked this world if there was a problem with sexuality today, the world would say yes, unequivocally, yes. There is a massive problem. Some of the challenges that come in that is that the world comes with their own solutions. And I want to point out to you kind of two solutions that has been predominant just in my history of understanding the recent church and also understanding the world today. One of the first solutions that, the, that people have for redemption is the way of religion. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make this better. Things are wrong and they need to be righted. And, we, and I'm going to white knuckle this thing. A man named John Tyson, he frames it this way morality plus willpower equals holiness. Take the rule of law, add willpower, good behavior. This is where you sign up for Covenant Eyes on your computer, you get an accountability partner, you memorize the Bible verses, you repeat them to yourself. You, instead of looking intently at uh, that lustful, desirous object, you bounce your eyes away and you say, oh, 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 man, you got willpower. You just white knuckle it. You get better. You do better. You try harder. Do better. Try harder. Keep going. And it doesn't work. That's been the way of religion. Because I know many of you have faced that and I know it hasn't worked for many of you. And in fact, there's a good chance that we've all tried it to some degree and we've all tried it and found it wanting. Part of the problem with that is that there's this this dark place of the heart that remains in darkness. And when it has the opportunity, it's exposed. And how is it exposed? Well, you move from religion to irreligion. This happens all the time in the church, by the way. Pastors are some of the biggest, the, 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 they are the ones that are some of the biggest offenders of this. They move from religion to irreligion. They say it's broken, it's not working, I'm going to do something else, and then we move to this. This is the fix of irreligion. This is the fix of the uh, culture of today. Desire plus consent equals Freedom. That was the the Corinthian church there. If I desire it, and they agree with it, then I'm free. Then I'm free. Then I'm experiencing a freedom I've never experienced before. Desire is the new morality. Consent is the new willpower. And freedom is the new holiness. And again, we have the problems that we face as a world today. And what does Paul call the church to do? He says, flee sexual immorality. Flee. Every other person, uh, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You, You know, this is the truth. If you try some of these, these These ways of redemption through religion or irreligion is that uh, morality plus willpower equals failure. Or if you try desire plus consent, it equals destruction. Both of which are a sin against self. Both of which turn you in on yourself to find solutions that only God can give. God's solution isn't better behavior. God's solution isn't more sexual freedom and just throwing your inhibitions away and going for it. God's solution is Christ. It's Jesus. You need new eyes. You need a renewed brain. You need a renewed body. You need a renewed mind and soul and everything about you pointed towards Him. And that's his solution. That's the story of redemption. And this is what Christ offers to us today. He says, bring me your problems. Bring me your brokenness. I don't care if you came into the room with them and you were thinking one way, I could take it and I could renew it and I have spilt my blood over that. And that's the way of Jesus. And this is what Paul says to the church of Corinth in the verse prior Before he launches into this, he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This wasn't them cleaning themselves up and making themselves better. Paul says this before launching into their sins. He says to them, You were washed. It already happened. There is nothing good that you brought to it. The only thing that you contributed to your salvation is the sins that made it necessary. And Jesus comes to you and says, bring me your brokenness. I have washed it clean. You've got dignity. You have got dignity. You have got value in Christ and in him alone. So let me offer to you a new formula. Jesus plus biblical conviction plus the power of the Holy Spirit equals grace upon grace. You have a Savior. Your Savior is not you. Your Savior is not a person. Your Savior, Savior is not sex. Your Savior is not marriage. Your Savior is Jesus. You have the word of truth, the Bible. We don't need to question the way we we're called to live. Everything in this book has everything to say about our lives. There is nothing missing. It is sufficient. It is the sufficiency of the scriptures alone and we hang upon these eternal truths with our very lives. We hold on and we are on a ride. And we believe that the Bible is true and authoritative and so where my life doesn't line up with the Bible, I bring my life in submission to the Word of God under the authority of my Savior Jesus Christ and then that's not enough right even still that's more that's willpower and morality but then we have the power of the Holy Spirit His spirit lives in you your body is his home he lives in you he will hold captive your mind where you trust in him, where you believe in him. He will give you the things to say. He will tell you the things to do. He will deliver you. His presence is his power and it belongs to us right now. And that equals grace. I can't say, man, I am amazing. I have conquered this beast of sexuality that has so devoured the rest of the world. It's not about me. Jesus is the one who saved me. He gave me his word, precious and true, to live by. And then he gives me the power of the Holy Spirit so that I might walk in obedience. It's all about him. And we say, glory be to God. And this is the truth. Which leads me to my last point, which is restoration. The supremacy of Christ over all things. Restoration. God made it. It belongs to him. God made you. You belong to him. Not only did God make you, he has remade you in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He loves you so much that when you rebelled against him, when you turned away from him, he didn't give you the Ten Commandments in order to show you what you have to do to get back into his good graces. He gave you the Ten Commandments so that you would unquestionably realize that you have fallen far short of the glory of God and you need someone who will follow God's ten ways to ten, ten ways to perfection a lot better than you. And that's Christ. Christ is the only one that that you and I have ever known, ever seen, that has not committed adultery in his heart. He lived perfect, sinless life. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You don't have to look down on your body. You don't have to see that your body is some less than, form, glob of cells. No, your body is an instrument of redemption in a lost and broken world. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God himself. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's a really good word for us right now. You are not your own. You're going to leave here, and the world is going to tell you, you are your own. You are your own, and you will find fulfillment when you find yourself in your life. You know what God says? Find yourself in me. I made you. I bought you, and I am remaking you in the image of Jesus Christ to where all your members belong to him. And that one flesh union is secured by the covenantal reality of Jesus' blood shed for you. That's what made you one with him. So glorify God with your body. John Piper, as I mentioned earlier, writing this book, he says, my conviction is that the better you, the better you know the supremacy of Christ, the more sacred and satisfying and Christ-exalting your sexuality will be. I have a picture in my mind of the majesty of Christ like the sun at the center of the solar system of your life. The massive sun, 333,000 times the mass of the earth, holds all the planets in orbit, even Pluto. 3.6 billion miles away, so it so it is with the supremacy of Christ in your life. All the planets of your life. Your sexuality and desires, your commitments and beliefs, your aspirations and your dreams, your attitudes and convictions, your habits and your disciplines, your solitude and relationships, your labor and your leisure, your thinking and feeling all the planets are held in orbit by the greatness and gravity and blazing brightness of the supremacy of Jesus at the center of your life. If he ceases to be bright, blazing, satisfying beauty at the center of your life, the planets will fly into confusion. 100 things will be out of control and sooner or later they will crash into destruction. So listen, church. Let's look at the blazing bright beauty of Christ. Last week when we talked about politics and the Bible, Jesus, I used a passage uh, from the Gospel of Matthew where they try to trap Jesus with a question around uh, the imperial tax. Should it be paid to Caesar or not? And Jesus says, show me the coin. Where's the coin? They get out the coin and the image that's on the coin is the image of Caesar. The inscription on the coin is that of Caesar. And so Jesus says, it doesn't belong to God. Caesar's image is upon it. His inscription is upon it. Give it to Caesar. And then I asked you all the question. I said, whose image is on you? Well, God's image is on me because he made me in his image. And I'll remind you of the same thing related to sexuality. Whose image is on you? His, he has stamped his eternal glory on you and the cross is proof. And so now church, glorify God in your body. And I wanna plead with you now as the worship team leads us through this song. I wanna plead with you now. Maybe, maybe there's some reservations in you right now. Maybe you're saying, I, I can't do that because I can't do it perfectly. I know I'm gonna fail. Or maybe you're saying, I can't do that because there's these desires that are just overwhelming me. Or maybe you would say, I I can't do that because I've really tried hard. I've tried the morality plus willpower equals failure. And you're right. And the only thing I know about myself is a failure. Let, Let me tell you something, friends. Bring your brokenness. Just do one thing today. Bring your brokenness before God and say to him, Lord, you made me. You've redeemed me. Will you help me? That's it. Just go there. Right now. We can all go there together. And when you take communion, you are acknowledging that Jesus is the one you need more than anything else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that even though you wound, Lord, with your word, you heal us. Because though your word is truth, Lord, the life that you've given us, the life that you've given us is life eternal. It is the best of the best. There's nothing greater than that. And so, Lord, help us see the beauty of you at the center of our lives, that blazing center. Help us lift our gaze and help us make this good confession together today. Jesus, will you help me?